0: Okay. What we're going to do is like this. I'm going to talk to you about the normal kapara, the normal cleansing of sin, and then contrast that to the special cleansing of sin that takes place on Yom Kippur, the day of cleansing. Okay? So there's a normal cleansing, a normal kapara, and then the special thing that happens on Yom Kippur. I want to spend very little time on this. Why? Because the rest of the class will be dedicated to taking what is a nice heartwarming idea that people feel all calm and cute and cuddly by and showing that um, that's not really what it means. All right? So, the normal way Kapara works is as follows. When a person sins, um, there are two main issues. Number one, the person has rejected Hashem. That is called in Hebrew merida, or if you want to translate quite literally, rebelling against God. It's a bad thing, don't do that. And number two, there's something called the Pagam. Pagam means a defect. They've caused some damage to their soul and the world and the relationship with God, okay? Um, To use a very simple analogy, um, if somebody really doesn't care about me and I ask them, um, please, can you not sit on my hat? And they say, well, no. And then they go and sit on my hat. There are two problems. A, they have blown me off, and B, my hat is crushed, right? Now, there's something called oynesh in Hebrew, which means punishment. Punishment is for which people? Who deserves punishment? Uh, sinners. Sinners. What makes someone a sinner?
1: Sin. No. <coughs>
0: that is not what makes someone a sinner. What makes someone a sinner is that they don't see anything wrong with their sinning. Meaning that they are still in a state of rejecting God. So what happens when a person makes a decision to no longer reject God? In other words, they do what is called in Jewish law, tshuva, they return to God by resolving to not sin again. At that point, do they deserve any punishment? They do not. No punishment. The punishment is for the rejection of Hashem. If you're no longer rejecting Hashem, do you deserve to be punished? No. Okay. No. No, that's simple. Yeah. Not going back to the Lord. What? Not going back to the
1: Lord. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: So, just by the way, avoiding divine punishment is pretty easy, actually. You just have to say that it's in your heart, Sincerely, honestly, I'm not going to sin again. Then God's like, okay, fine. Punishment cancelled. That simple. However, back to my hat, if someone sat on my hat with the fact that they told me that they're sorry and they're not going to do it again, change the fact that my hat is still smushed, right? Okay. The damage done to the soul, to the connection to God, does not get undone simply because God foregoes the punishment. Okay. So, then there's this other thing, which is kapara, which is that God cleans away the sin. Repairs the damage caused by the sin. Okay? Now, there's a very important rule I want you guys to have in your head. If you're being punished, it's not kapara. If it's kapara, you're not being punished. Because here's the rule. Who does God cleanse the sins for? People who are rejecting him or people who are not rejecting him? Not. Who deserves punishment? People
1: who are rejected.
0: Right. So if you're being punished then God is not? It's not
1: Kapara.
0: It's not Kapara. And if it's Kapara,
1: you're
0: you're not being punished. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is like a very, very important thing. In other words, the idea of Kapara, the idea of Hashem cleansing away the, the stain of sin, is His response to us returning to Him. Because we return to Him, so in response, He cleanses the sin. That's the normal Kapara.
1: So could it be like a cycle? Like punishment? And the person feels bad because of that punishment, and then Hashem, Hashem cleanses
0: the sin? No, and here's the reason why. Because, how does Hashem cleanse the sin? Hashem cleansed the sin, there, like, it's not hocus pocus. God doesn't just wave magic wands and then poof stuff happens. That's how it works. I mean, he could, but he doesn't. Basically, it's like this. If um, you have a relationship with a person, and there's a, they've done something to really hurt you, how do you heal that? Like, What do you have to do in order to heal that? And let us pretend it is not something you don't care about, right? It's like, that's like, oh, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. They hurt you and it, it matters, right? Now, you're not just gonna not hold it against them, right? Not holding it against them is like not punishing them. I don't mean that. You're really going to heal. How do you do that? Can Anyone you know? know? To... They can't.
1: You just let go.
0: What? That's it, you just let go? So the way, we, the way we heal our relationships is becoming more indifferent to the things we value in life.
1: Sometimes, um, yes.
0: I, I, I recommend that you change that policy before you get married and have children. Yeah,
1: sometimes no. you have to say this relationship is more important to me than whatever else is breached.
0: Fine, but, then that's, but, then the, but that only works if the breaches are, are things that are not that important.
1: Right.
0: And people hurt you in ways that are, really are important. And you still have to have relationships. You don't have to. You can want to be those people that doesn't have relationships with people, but that's sad. <laughs> Don't be that person. Everyone
1: has that option.
0: Okay, so here's the thing. Um, and really this is a class for another time because I'm just... But this is all a point of contrast. Is that in, in, in desire, we spoke about this, that, that in desire there's the fact that you want, the fact that you're desiring, and there's what you desire, right? There's both elements. Okay. Now... when you feel very strongly what you desire, that actually constrains you, it limits you. Because if you're not getting what you want, then how do you feel? Upset. On the other hand, if you feel very strongly the desiring itself, that actually moves you past those limitations. In fact, that's why sometimes, this is, this is, a, this is easier to understand, although it's not necessarily a positive example, that's why sometimes our desires get in the way of getting what we desire. For instance, let's say you have a question and you really want to know the answer. Okay, the, Your desire to really want to know the answer can actually prevent you from getting the answer because you don't actually understand what you... you don't, you're, not, you're not calm enough to appreciate what it is exactly you're missing to hear what the person is saying that's different to actually think about it to get the answer. You're just like, I, I need to know. You're Just feeling your own needs so strongly, the reality of the actual question, how it's answered is not registering. So, as we feel our need more intensely, we become free of the constraints of life, even the constraint of what we want. So here's the thing. Let's take an example. Let's say you have a relationship with a person and you really want to have a relationship with that person. And that person hurt you in a very deep way. And I don't mean they sat on your hat. Okay? I mean, they did something that really violates the relationship. Right. So, by the way, not caring means not caring about the relationship. Right? Letting go means letting go about the relationship because that's what, that's what bothers you. Right? It's not the hat that bothers you. So then how do you come to a place of healing? By having a stronger sense of how much you desire the relationship more than a sense of what the relationship needs to look like. In other words, that there's a stronger sense of my desire for the connection than my image of what that connection needs to be like. And that allows a person to go through a process of healing. Now, really, I should dedicate several classes to explaining that. But because that's not what happens on Yom Kippur, I'm not going to do that. My point of this is, that happens, that's how Hashem does Kapara. Is that what Hashem, how does Hashem cleanse away your sin? Does He stop caring that you didn't do the mitzvah, you did the vera? Is that what happens? He
1: just cares more about you.
0: He doesn't care more about you That's wrong That's just not true That's just not true right. he can't, he, what, he, what happens is, is That his desire to be connected to you Is more felt by him more intensely Than his sense of what does a healthy relationship with you look like A healthy relationship between a Jew and God Looks like doing Torah Mitzvahs So there's nothing more important to him than that There's no like higher level where Torah Mitzvahs aren't important this is going to be very, this is, That doesn't exist because turban says is a healthy relation between Hashem and a Jew, but within that, what matters more—the way it looks, or that he, or that he wants
1: it—that he,
0: it. he wants it. So what happ- How does the kapar work? Is that his? He feels so strongly the the desire for the connection that that allows him to to. Continue being fully invested in that relationship Even though there's something that is unhealthy and dysfunctional yeah. And that's where the place of healing comes from
1: From the unhealth yeah. and dysfunction.
0: From the desiring the relationship
1: Right, but that, that's just something we I want to stay with this person even if they're abusive mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Hashem only desires Feels that intense desire In accordance with are the intensity of our desire to return to Medut Hashem is like, I need you so you can like abuse me and spit on me and throw me in the garbage and I have to be with you no matter what. He will not do that. Mm-hmm. But if I have sinned, and I don't just say, you know what, God, you're the boss, I don't want to mess with you, I'll do what you say. But I really, even though I, 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 I messed up this relationship, but even though I messed it up, I still want it. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I, I, I need it. If I need it, then Heel Hashem will reveal that he needs it and that's where the healing comes from. So his desire is, is reflecting my desire, which means kapara comes in proportion to your tshuva. Even though God is the one who does the kapara and cleanses away the sin, but whether that intensive desire comes to the person or not depends on mm-hmm. how intensely and how authentically they desire to return to him. And so if your tshuva is just that technical, well, I'm not going to send anymore because I don't want to get punished, should you expect much kapara to come? If on the other hand it's like, how could I have been so foolish to throw away the most important relationship in my life? That's where your truth is coming from. Then should you expect a lot of kapara pretty quickly? Yeah. That's how it normally works. Without Yom Kippur, that's just, that's, that's the normal structure. Good? So the idea here is normal kapara, normal cleansing of sin, is based on God's ex- it, um, uh, intense desire to be connected to us. Even though that connection has become dysfunctional. And that is his response to our intense desire. To reconnect him. Even though the relationship has been dysfunctional. Are there any questions on, on, on the basic idea? There's a lot of stuff we could talk about. Because, but I don't want to I don't get too into it. Because I do want to get to him. Kipper, Yeah. Um, Hashem is always still going to be our Hashem. No matter like, how
1: much of a relationship we have.
0: We'll get to that soon. Okay. Now, on Yom Kippur, the Kapara works very differently. On Yom Kippur, the Kapara works as follows. There is a level of our connection to Hashem, as we discussed in the previous classes, that is not based on desire. Right? Desire is how we connect to things other than ourselves. Right? Every relationship you have with another person is desire-based with the exception of? Yourself, your parents, your children. Right? That's it. Every other relationship, if you don't desire, you have no connection. Parents to children, children to parents, being an extension of self to self, there's a connection whether or not you desire. Okay. So on Yom Kippur, what happens is Hashem reveals that our sins never separated us from Him. Because since the connection was not based on His desire to have a relationship, The relationship being dysfunctional isn't the separation. This is Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, the idea of Kippur is like this. It's not that we've sinned and the sin is being washed away and healed. The idea is that Hashem reveals that the sin never separated us to begin with. Since the connection was not based on His desire to relate to me, and that desire has a healthy, functional way of it being brought about through the mitzvahs, Therefore, it couldn't be damaged if we don't fulfill the mitzvahs. Am I connected to my father because he has a desire for me? The answer is no. So therefore, if I fail to meet any of his desires, in fact, he has become repulsed by me, have we stopped being connected because of that? No. So we're always connected, no matter what. And that's what's special in Yom Kippur. In Yom Kippur, the removal of sin is not healing the dysfunction in the relationship because of his stronger, intense feeling of desire to connect, it's revealing that we were never separated by sin to begin with. No matter how much you sin, you're always connected to God no matter what. That's Yom Kippur. Well, I'll get to that. By the end of the class, you'll be like, I don't know if we can do Yom Kippur every year. It's too much. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice... What? He reveals to us how his desire
1: for a relationship with us is, no.
0: is not what... No. It's, it's not what connects us. Yeah. Yeah. And so therefore, if we've, if we've, if we've created distance by, by violating his desire, that doesn't mean we're separated. If the desire didn't connect us, then, then, then transgressing that desire doesn't separate us. And that's because like, we
1: are an extension of Hashem. So that's it's, right.
0: It's like Hashem. Yeah, right. He, we and, he and us are united in essence And so therefore It's not based on desire We're always connected It doesn't matter how many mitzvahs you do It doesn't matter how many things you do We're always connected And that's what's revealed on Yom Kippur And like if I was a regular Chabad rabbi Then we would talk about the essential bond And how beautiful it is And how wonderful it is And we're all very inspired And blah 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 You hear the sarcasm in my voice? Okay, good Now That's all true What I said is all true You, say
1: you have to.
0: Um, so the message of Yom Kippur doesn't matter whether you sinned or not, right? That's the big message of Yom Kippur. That That's off, right? That can't be what... The, so there's something missing about this idea, right? Okay, so what we're going to do now in the class is take this wonderful, beautiful idea that we are united with Hashem in essence and it doesn't depend on His desire. It doesn't depend on our desires. So therefore, mitzvahs don't bring us closer. Averiots don't separate us. And blah, 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 blah. And say, okay... What's really going on with Yom Kippur? Because Yom Kippur is a day of tshuva. It's a day of confessing our sins. It's a day where we're like supposed to, like you know, something's supposed to happen. Okay. So we're going to start with a halacha. There's a law in the Torah, which is, it's disputed in the Gemara and the Talmud, but the, we follow the, the majority opinion, which is, you only receive the kapara, the cleansing of sin of Yom Kippur, if you have already done tshuva. Yom Kippur mechaper l'shovek. If you did tshuva, your sins will be cleansed away. If you didn't do tshuva, then do you get your sins cleansed away? No. Now, does that fit with what we've just set up until now, that the idea of Yom Kippur is revealing that our sins never separated us to begin with? Do those two ideas seem to fit together? Okay. So clearly, we're, we, we need a richer <coughs> understanding of what's going on. Okay, by the way, to be fair, there is a minority view that says that Yom Kippur cleanses sin even if you don't do tshuva. But we don't rule that way So So I'm going to give you an analogy Imagine you have a father and a son And the son Does everything possible To cause the father distress Lifestyle choices Behavior The way he treats him Everything Just Treats his father like garbage Rejects all of his father's values Everything And does it in the most callous way possible And this goes on and on and on for years and 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 And eventually they stop talking to each other. And 20, 30, 40 years go by. And the father's sitting at home. And he thinks, you know what? At the end of the day, he's still my son, right? So he gets in his car. He drives to his son's house. He knocks on the door. And he says, son opens the door. Because he doesn't know his father's there, okay? That's how this analogy works. He opens the door. And the father says... At the end of the day, I'm your father and you're my son. And the son slams the door in his face. Was that a productive conversation? No. Why? What? No, the son has a choice. It wasn't productive because of the son, the son made a choice. Where do he make the choice to slam the door in his father's face? He could have made a different choice. What choice could he have made? Have a conversation. Have a conversation, right? Yeah. He had that choice, right? To accept or reject his father's overture, right? Okay. See, the thing is like this. That essential place that Hashem and us are united as one and we're inseparable and done about desire, its, it's loftiness is also its downside. A father and son are inseparable, that also doesn't mean anything. Like in real life, the father and son can be estranged, right? The problem problem with essence and the advantage of desire is desire has energy, desire has power, desire makes things happen. If I desire someone in the presence in my life, I will interact with them, I will pursue them, I will try and relate to them, I will try to work things out, right? If I have zero desire and only an essential bond, So, philosophically, we're united as one, but like in real life, it doesn't matter. So, all all year long, are we bound up with Hashem no matter what, regardless of how many mitzvahs or we do? Sure. And that has what consequence, what ramification in terms of the relationship between us and Hashem? Zero. Nothing. Zero effect. Well,
1: that's only if we're causing Hashem a lot of
0: anger. No, it has zero effect either way. It It has no effect. It's true and meaningless simultaneously. One day a year, Hashem, of his own initiative, decides, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm their father. They're my children. I'm going to start relating to them, not on the basis of my desire, but on the basis of this essential truth. In other words, what changes on Yom Kippur is that instead of Hashem relating to us on the basis of I desire a relationship with you, he starts relating to us on the basis of we are are inseparable. And therefore, because we're inseparable, we have to work things out. Now, that's what he does of his own initiative. But what if you come into Yom Kippur and your attitude is, well, I don't care about God. God can go jump in a lake as far as I'm concerned. Is this going to lead to anything? If Hashem comes to me and says, our connection is inseparable, we got to work this stuff out Because we're bound up with each other I mean at the end of the day We're one So this conflict between us Has to get resolved And I tell Hashem I'm not interested in resolving the conflict I'm perfectly happy living a godless life Then what has Yom Kippur accomplished? Nothing The idea is that God is not coming and saying It really doesn't matter Whether you do mitzvahs Or you don't do mitzvahs Because at the end of the day are one He's not saying that at all He's saying, on the, he's saying the opposite Even though Normally, the whole relationship we have with Hashem is based on His desire to connect to us. And when the desire is broken, it can be rekindled and healed by an intense desire on in our part when we do tshuva, right? And then He has an intense desire to reconnect and we work stuff out. On Yom Kippur, the entire thing is different. He started, Hashem is coming saying, I'm going to work, start off a different premise. I'm going to put something on the table. Which is what? We are bound up as one. Which means, this conflict between us has to get resolved. If he does that And I reject him Nothing happens But if he does that And I say you know what Hashem You're right I'm also interested in solving these problems Now is there room for something to happen? Yeah So what happens So this, this idea of putting this on the table of Setting this as the, as the basis of the conversation Between me and Hashem That our bond is inseparable Requires that he bring it up And I be willing to accept it And so this means, by the way, the tshuva that you need to do in order to receive the atonement on Yom Kippur is the most minimal tshuva. It just basically means that you're not rejecting Hashem. In other words, it needs to be that your attitude is, I, like in the analogy, I'm not going to slam the door, come in, sit down at the table, let's have a cup of coffee, we'll talk. That's it. If a person comes to Yom Kippur and their attitude is, I'm not returning to Hashem, then Hashem revealing this truth and trying to make that the basis of our interaction is meaningless. But if Hashem comes and says, I want to make this the basis of our interaction, this fact that we're inseparable, and the Jew says, look, I'm willing to listen. We'll talk. I'm open to it. That movement towards Hashem rather than away from Hashem is all that's required. Okay, but now that so we're done, like you know, the the, the father opens the door. So the, the son opens the door. The father, and the son sit down. The father makes his, the son makes his father a cup of coffee. They sit, like now it's all worked out. We're all good, or that's when the hard work actually begins, okay. right? Everything up to now is the easy stuff, right? So Hashem comes in Kippur and says, "My connection to you is not based on desire at all. We're one. We have to work this stuff out." And the Jew says. You're right I want to return to you We're one We have to work this stuff out So now we have a basis We have a We have a Use the word We have a safe space To work stuff out Because we're both acknowledging that At the end of the day Our bond can't be broken Now that that's in place What do you have to do? Now you have to do serious tshuva Heartfelt Gut-wrenching tshuva There's an interesting halacha That the Rambam says The Rambam says, my says, that there is a requirement that a Jew do tshuva on Yom Kippur. You are halachically mandated to do tshuva on Yom Kippur. Are you mandated to do tshuva during the 10 days of tshuva? No, it's just like, it's more effective, right? Because as we spoke about yesterday, Hashem is like, he's really, he's really putting out how much he desires to connect to you, how much he's there for you. And so it's more effective. On Yom Kippur, there's a requirement to do tshuva. Why? Why is there a requirement to do tshuva? Because that's when Hashem comes to you. That's when Hashem comes to you and says, I want this. It's more than I want this. not you. We are inseparable. And therefore, this conflict between us cannot continue. now, so first off you should accept that and like start working but yeah now, now like, th- the, in other words that is the th- that day of Yom Kippur is a time which if you appreciate what's happening requires you to do tshuva the situation demands that you bring up all the garbage and start dealing with it now now, why are you sure to bring up all the garbage? Because now you're working off of a premise. Now you're working off a foundation where no matter what gets brought up, no matter how bad it is, what is true? Our connection can't be broken by it. Well, if our connection can't be broken by it, then we can deal with it. Does that even mean we have to like each other, necessarily? No. All right, so the father and son are sitting, right? And, Bring one brings up the other. When they get upset and they get angry, and but, but the conversation is constructive. Why? Because both are operating off of what premise? I am your father. I am your son. Our bond is inseparable. Therefore, regardless of how difficult this is and how much I don't even necessarily feel like I want it, it must be dealt with. And so we're going to keep dealing with it. And we're going to keep working at it until we get to some sort of positive reconciliation. So, is the idea that we have an unbreakable bond that doesn't depend on our sins, is the message from that, well, it doesn't matter whether you sin or not? (laughs) No. The message is, no matter how much you sin, there's a part of you that's always connected, and so there's a basis for dealing with anything. Everything can be put on the table. Everything can be addressed. Everything can be dealt with. Yeah? There's some stuff in a relationship based on desire, like you just don't desire to connect strongly enough to bring up that kind of conflict, right? Here's, a, here's an unfortunate truth about, about close relationships, marriages, deep friends. Sometimes people hurt you really, really deeply. By the way, not even intentionally. Like, hurt does not necessarily have to be proportionate to the intent to harm, right? And there can be a point at which you realize that you desire the relationship and the only way to make that relationship continue is just to not pay attention to the pain. Not that pain doesn't bother you, just don't pay attention to it. Because you don't desire the relationship enough to actually deal with the pain, but you desire the relationship enough that you don't want the pain to destroy it. So what do you do? You put it aside. And that's the nature of desire is no matter how much the desire is, it's a limited thing. And so there's always the possibility that certain things that I don't have the ability to deal with. But the idea that there's an unbreakable bond It wasn't forged on desire so, so being disappointed Having my desires dashed doesn't, doesn't jeopardize it means There's no limits That what can be brought up there's, no, there's, there, there's nothing that is unsafe To have a conversation with Hashem about Now what does that make Yom Kippur into? A celebration of our inseparable bond Or a day of a lot of hard work Or both Right I mean, you, you have to do both. right you have to appreciate it you have to value that bond okay. so now what we 've done is we 've turned Jim Kipper into like this freebie where there's the deep central bond he 's always our god, always his people doesn 't matter. In fact, do we have a master here? I meant yeah. to print out something from the master um, so if you could get me a a uh, Kipper master. just want to show you um. A, a, a particular section. I should have made copies, but you're... this is the most constant. This is the, the like one of the. most. We, we say this prayer over and over again throughout Yom Kippur. Okay. And it's in English, so I could just read the English to you instead of you know doing my own hoc translation. Okay. We are your people. You are our God. We are your children. You are our Father. We are your servants, you are our master. We are your congregation, you are our portion. We are your inheritance, and you are our lot. We are your flock, and you are our shepherd. We are your vineyard, and you are our watchman. We are your handiwork, you are our creator. We are your beloved ones, and you are our beloved. We are your treasure, and you are our God. We are your people, and you are our king. We are your chosen people, and you are acknowledged God. How's that sound? So I was you. wanna know the next line is? We are impudent, but you are merciful and gracious. We are, I don't even know what that word means, obdurate, Uh. but you are slow to anger. We are full of iniquity, but you are full of compassion. Our days are passing, a passing shadow. You are eternal, your years without end. We have sinned, and we want to confess our sins in great and great detail for pages and pages and pages. And then after we're done, we then go talk about what kind of punishments those sins would really demand if we were to be punished for such sins. Now, that doesn't sound a little bit weird. But what's really happening here is once we have a context of how inseparable and unbreakable our bond is, now, given that we both acknowledge that, what do we have the freedom to do? To bring up all of the different things that are a conflict between us. So the inseparable bond is not a reason to ignore our sins. It is actually a reason to bring them up. And that's the theme. If you look through the Maqsa, that's how it works on Yom Kippur. Right? There are some people whose approach to Yom Kippur is that the main thing is, is Hashem and I, we're inseparable. We're one. It's like the, the whole confessing our sins. The That's not the point. No, it is the point. But it's very different when I am pleading for mercy because it's my desire that has to inspire him's desire. And it's a back and forth. And it's a negotiation. And it's tenuous. Versus... We are united. We are one. Therefore, this conflict must find a resolution somehow. And it, 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 there's no way there's no way it's not going to because we can't just walk away from each other, even if we would like to walk away from each other. We can't. So we better figure out a way we could work out. Better deal with the issues. Which then leads me to another thing. On Yom Kippur, we confess our sins. Now, the machzer has a, a, a list of sins. Very detailed list. Okay, Why do we need a detailed list of our sins? Why can't we just like, I sinned. I was wrong. Why is that good enough? I didn't take you seriously. I mean, at the end of the day, all sins boil down to one problem. We didn't value our relationship with Hashem, right? The end of the day, returning to a Hashem is about one simple truth: I didn't value this relationship enough, right? So then, why why do I have to like run through? I did this wrong. 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 I did this, wrong I did this wrong.
1: It's more sincere when you detail when you explain what you did rather than like, "I'm sorry, I hurt you." I'm
0: sorry, I hurt you because X, Y, Z. Okay, so so if you actually look at our look at the confession, so there's actually something very interesting in the confession, which again is something that people often don't notice. Um, the confession that we say, it doesn't really list, like, sins in, like, the technical sense. It says, for the sins we committed under duress or willingly, the sins we committed by, hard, by hard-heartedness, the sins we committed inadvertently, the sins we committed openly or secretly, the sins we committed by improper thoughts, the sins we committed by insincere confession, are these specific concrete things we did behavior-wise or are these the way we send, in terms of the mode? Because here's the thing. There are three levels. If I hurt somebody, okay? Let's say there's an example. It's a silly example, but we use it because just the look. If somebody sits on my hat, right? There are three things. Number one, they don't respect me. Number three, my hat got smashed. What's number two? It's not they don't respect you. They, I asked them not to sit on my hat, and they did so anyway. they clearly don't respect me. That was the example.
1: Number
0: two is.: so I said there are three elements to the sin. One is my hat got crushed. One is that they don't, One is they don't respect me. I asked them, and they just blew me off. Okay, the second thing is, um, the third thing is my hat got ruined. right? There's an in-between those two things ask you a question like, this is what actually helps because it's a silly example what kind of person sits on a hat after you ask them not to? they
1: did
0: it mockingly mockingly, right? so it's an in-between thing right? for instance I could ask you to stop chewing with your mouth open right? and you could continue doing it and that's be- okay, so you don't respect me enough to stop but you're not trying to mock me you're just like find it inconvenient and you're prioritizing your convenience over my discomfort which is different than mocking, right? those are not the same thing so before that, you could mock me in other ways. You could have mocked me by, um, uh, I don't know, what's something else a good person mock? Person, you could not respect me, and therefore, when you you you, you know, make fun of me in the middle of class to mock me, right? So there's an element between just the basic disregard for the person, which is true about any time you hurt another person. You're not you're you're, you're disregarding. Them, you're not respecting them. That's universal. But and then. Before you get to the specific physical act that you did that harmed them, there is a mode of the way you interacted with them. Was it mocking? Was it just prioritizing your own comfort over their pain? Was it, was it not being sensitive when you were speaking to them? Right? There's, there's a lot of different modalities in which we hurt other people, right? And here's the thing. If you're going to actually change, is it enough to deal with the general, I don't respect you enough. I don't value you enough. Is that, is that going to work? On the other hand, is going through every particular physical act that you did really what needs to be addressed? What needs to be addressed is something in between those two, which is, where is this mockingness coming from? Why is it, it, how am I gonna change the fact that my convenience just feels more important than your discomfort? And those are two different problems that have two different solutions, right? In other words, if you go into the actual conflicts in a relationship, the, the, the actual change doesn't occur only, it requires it only by saying, I value the relationship. I want it to be good. But jumping to the specific of the thing you did is, is, is it's superficial. It's not the point. The actual place where that, that, that thing, the, the real change occurs is understanding the soul of what you did. And one of the things we confess for is insincere confession. What is insincere confession? What is insincere confession? Like, what is that? Let's talk about that. What is insincere confession?
1: It's not understanding what
0: you What you're saying. saying? Yeah. That's insincere confession?
1: Yeah, it's superficial. You're just like, I confess. Am I good now? Like, I'm sorry. Are we good? It's not like uh it's not is that the
0: only kind of insincere confession there is? By the way, that brings up a point. You know this custom people have where before you have Kippur, they go around asking everybody for forgiveness? Mm-hmm. You shouldn't do that. You really shouldn't. Two reasons. Number one, it's a problem of insincere confession. Number two, what are you assuming about a person when you go over to them and apologize? Okay. Not, of course, knowing what you did wrong, but if I, if I hurt you, I want to apologize. What are you assuming about them?
1: care as much about
0: you than you think they did that and what that means despite the fact they never brought anything up and you can't think of anything you did wrong to them they're obviously holding some sort of grudge against me because if they're not what's the, point of, what's the point of what are you doing and you know it's forbidden to hold a grudge without letting the person know you're upset with them so if I can't think of anything I did to hurt you I mean, if I did, you should definitely apologize. Right? If you can know that you, I remember, I did this, I hurt you, and, and maybe the forgiveness was not hard. I don't know. Uh, that's what I'm discussing. I can't think of anything to hurt the person. They haven't done it, brought it up. That Why should I assume that they're holding something, that, that they're hard, that, like, that's... First off, there's a lot of arrogance as if, like, I'm the most important person on their mind. And second off, I'm kind of in accusing them of being a bad person by, by holding a grudge and not dealing with it. And then on top of that, this is insincere confession because if you can't even think of what you did wrong, then how sincere are you in this whole thing?
1: Insincere confession is in just saying something because it sounds like, like... Yeah, it, it sounds it good.
0: You don't really mean it. and like, a yeah, guess yeah. at
1: what you did yeah. to really...
0: Yeah. Now, if you know they're upset with you, that's very different. If you know they're upset with you, you should by all means try and figure out why they're upset with you and talk about it. Okay. But is that the only form of insincere confession? Like you're saying, I'm sorry. I'm just, is that good enough? Are there any other kinds of insincere confession?
1: We don't believe we did
0: it was wrong. You don't believe that you're actually going to change. You don't believe you're going to change. And I believe it's wrong.
1: Or you know you're not going to change. I'm not
0: planning on changing, even though I would like to change, but I'm planning on not changing because it's too hard. Yeah? Or, how about this? This is a little more subtle one. I feel I can manipulate you into forgiving me by showing enough emotion.
1: Hmm. Not Would you
0: take this idea of insincere confession? There's a whole world of insincere confession, right? It all fits under a basic genre, which is like instead of acknowledging that you hurt somebody and trying to heal, right? You're just trying to cover your own basis without actually acknowledging the reality of what you did to them, right? But that has a that's a particular way of being. That's a particular way of relating to somebody, right? And it comes up in a lot of different areas, a lot of different things, right? And that's not going to change unless you face the fact that, oh, yeah, I do that. And I do it with God. But by the way, we do this very much with God. Have you ever had this thing where you pray and you, like, in your mind, you, like, it's often happens a person want something. But not only if you want something. You're praying and you really want something. And you know you're, like, not the holiest person in the world. And so you, like, really, like, try to, like, put, put on your best... I'm a good person and I'm sincere and I really will change and I, I you know and you're like, you're, you're like you're, you're, you start begging and pleading and arguing and justifying with God that, that really really you ever do that? okay why is that insincere confession?
1: trying to get something
0: well, it's a little bit deeper with God does God he's God right? he
1: knows.
0: so who knows you better you or him? So do you have to, the very notion of putting on a presentation for him
1: mm.
0: is, is completely devaluing that he's God, right? Mm. I mean, I have to bring myself to that place, not show him I'm in that place. The whole notion of showing him anything is an insincere confession. They're all like that. Because if we're gonna deal with the garbage, the garbage is not the technical thing that I did. Ooh, I violated this subparagraph of the code of Jewish law. Like, that's not the point. Oh, I didn't take God's vow va- seriously enough. Well, that's, that, 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 that is the point, but it's too much the central point. It's not gonna, that's, not, that's, not the, that's not enough. In what way and how does it play out in my life that I don't take God seriously? Am I mocking? Am I just unaware? Yeah you ever wake up in the middle of the night um, on Shabbos and accidentally turn on the light? Has that ever happened to anybody? Mm-hmm. It's happened to me. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and accidentally drink out of the toilet? Why not? <laughs> Why not?
1: Because it's like, just, I don't, like, I don't do that. It's what? what? Yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> right?
0: Just okay. I don't do that. Yeah, okay. So how come your relationship with Hashem isn't, uh, isn't so important to you like that, and your sense of Shabbos is so bad, that you... Well, that does say something about the relationship, that doesn't it? Right. Now, if Shabbos is really, really important to Hashem, it's very intimate, yeah. It's very personal, yeah. Sorry. And I can forget Shabbos because I because I woke up and it was two in the morning. Like that's a problem, right? It's not a problem about Shabbos per se. It's this. It's the sense of like I need to be conscious and on my best behavior and really like thinking in order to relate to Hashem. Well, I mean that. If you have to be on your best behavior to be sensitive to, what, to someone else, that says something about how you feel towards them, right? How you relate to them, how you conceive of them in your life, right? So if you start going through the different things in confession, it's not about I did X, Y, and Z behavior. It's what was going on inside of me and my life and my relationship with Hashem, other than just the general fact that Hashem is not that important to me, and how is that gonna change? how am I going to actually fix that and deal with that? And she's like, like, obviously this doesn't jeopardize our relationship because we have this essential bond, but it still needs to be fixed. It still needs to be dealt with. There's an interesting difference between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. On Rosh Hashanah, we don't mention the fact that we sinned. The simple reason is that they have judgment, so it's like not a good idea to make, <laughs> to make an argument not in your favor. But why, according to Chassidus, don't we don't we mention our sins? We don't confess our sins on Rosh Hashanah and we do on Yom Kippur. So if you remember, Rosh Hashanah, what are we trying to do? We're trying to bring, bring back to Hashem this notion that we have this essential bond, right? He should desire us, right? On Yom Kippur, who's bringing up this idea that we have the essential bond? So, there's a very big difference, right? We're bringing up this idea we have an essential bond, there should be desire. And Hashem, that's Rosh Hashanah. And Hashem comes back, we have this essential bond, then we better deal with our problems. And so, if you... On Rosh Hashanah, there isn't that... There isn't isn't the space to deal with that. There's a very basic question like... Do I want to relate to him? Does he want to relate to me? Like, that's the issue. Bringing up how it hasn't worked in the past is actually counterproductive to that. But once it's clear to both of us that we have this bond, we have this thing, and therefore the problems need to be addressed, then we should bring up which problems? All of our problems. And all of our problems is not the particular technical thing we did wrong, but that... that, the way that wrongness features in our life, the way we live that. And yeah, to figure out how I'm going to change it and how I'm not going to let that stand in the way of my connection with Hashem and, and to, 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 to really address those things from a place of safety, knowing that the relationship cannot be jeopardized by these things, so then for it to be healed, therefore it can be fixed. By the way, once we've done that whole thing, right? Which we, do Friday, we, which we do the night of Yom Kippur in the Marv service, what happens next? We then do it again. How many times do we do this on Yom Kippur, by the way? Oh. Actually, mm-hmm. ten, because each prayer we do it twice. So once you finish, you do it again, and again, and again, and you keep doing it until when? Uh, Nihila. Until Nihila. So Yom Kippur is over. Why? Why you, Why oh, like I did it already. I went through all the issues and all the things. I mean, I, if, so if I did all of that, then why do, I need, why do I need to then go through the whole thing a second time and a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time and a sixth time and a seventh time and eighth time a ninth time and a tenth time?
1: To show your commitment.
0: I have to prove to Hashem that I'm really committed. He doesn't know that.
1: Prove to yourself. Prove to Hashem.
0: Prove to myself. I'm going, to, I'm going to hold off on the answer to that and bring up another interesting halacha about Yom Kippur. The Rambam says that you have to confess and do tshuva for all of the sins you've ever done every Yom Kippur. Even though you did it last year, you still have to do it again this year. Why? So let's go back to the analogy with the father and the son, right? The father, the son, they're sitting there having that cup of coffee, they have a conversation. An honest conversation about all the stuff between them, and that takes what six, seven, eight hours, right? It's one of those conversations. In the end, they get to some good place, right? And the father goes home, and uh, yeah, baruch hashem, they, you know, the relationship is now—they have a relationship, right? It's good. A year later, are they in the same place they were a year ago? No. And now that they're in this new place. The way they dealt with those issues a year ago is that good enough? So do they need one of those conversations again? So the father comes, he knocks on the door, and says, hey "Father, you're my son. We should have one of those talks because we're you know we have to we we'll have to we we'll have to talk about the same things, but from a different place because we're in a different place. And so one second, the way in which we found healing and progress and some sort of constructive way forward was true for where we were then, but that's not true for where we are now because our relationship has improved over the year. Yeah. So wouldn't it matter what, how the relationship went throughout the year? Yeah. I mean, if it got worse, that would be obvious why we need another one of these conversations. My so my point why is why, why even if it got better, what? Because like a check-in. it's not a check-in because dealing with something is not just dealing with the thing, it's also the people. When you're dealing with something, you can only deal with it from the place at which you are actually present. Where are you holding in life? i that give you just a very, very, very just like an interesting observation. In the Siddur, the way our, the sages structure the Siddur is that after we ask God for our needs in Shmon Esrei, we confess our sins. It's called Tachron. I don't know if you noticed this, but it's a weird thing. Now, let's just imagine this for a second. Right? You smashed your parents' car You then, don't apologize, you go to your parents, ask them to pay for a trip to Israel, yeah. and after they say yes, they say, oh, by the way, I'm sorry for smashing your car. <laughs> Does that sound like a normal way to interact with a person? So why is why confessing the sin? And confessing sin should be the first thing, right? When you get closer, you, real, you realize that stuff that you didn't realize was a problem, you start realizing how it's a problem. Now that you had this face-to-face with Hashem and you feel closer, things you didn't realize were problematic, you now realize are problematic. Right? It's more like you smashed your parents' car. You apologize. They forgive you. You're on good terms. Your birthday's coming up. You ask them, what about a trip to Israel? They say yes. And you feel so gracious. You feel so much gratitude. You feel so much warmth. And then you feel really guilty about like how you really don't, you don't treat them with the respect parents really deserve. You're like nice to them, but not like really. You don't really go out of your way to really make them feel honored. And you feel a little embarrassed by that. Right? That would be more what it's like. You know, it's the closest makes you more sensitive. So if you if the father and son worked in a relationship throughout the year, then the way they dealt, the way they processed, the way they 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 found some reconciliation around these issues isn't as relevant, isn't sufficient the subsequent year. So what do they have to do? They have to have that same conversation again, but on a different level, which means that you need to set the same, the same foundation again, that everything be put on the table because our bond is unbreakable. So let's deal with this stuff. And so what the Rambam is saying is that if you're really saying that we have an obligation to deal with all the stuff between us and Hashem, don't think just because you dealt with it last year means it's fully dealt with. It was dealt with on the love you were last year. But now it lives on a different way. Right? This is what the Gavadah said. King David says, <laughs> My sins are always opposing me. Meaning, what point, at what point does the sin disappear? Does the conflict, does the, 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 does the issues of the past vanish as if they never existed? It doesn't happen. The relationship finds ways of dealing with it so that it's not a problem. And if I've dealt with it on one level, as my relationship gets deeper and better, I need to deal with it on a deeper level. I appreciate the, the, the harm in a deeper way. There, there's more... There's more um, it, it, it's more subtle. It's more sensitive. It's, it's not as necessarily as, 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 as crass. and just, Oh, I did the wrong thing and that's it.
1: In the master, after it comes after
0: Alchet comes after Kianu Amecha. You know, Kianu Amecha. Like I'm saying,
1: context wise, like. You're st- Which one like, The, the
0: Alchet of, of. of How does that. Because
1: you said that the closer you get to someone, the more
0: you realize. Oh, Tachnum, gonna... t- the, the daily Tachnum comes after Sheman Esweh. Sheman Esrei is the closest you are to Hashem and Davining, and then you say Tachnum, it's weird. That's why. So, every Yom Kippur, since, ideally, hopefully, we are in, closer to Hashem. We need to now deal with all of our past conflicts with Hashem on the level we're living now. And so again, we have the same process. Hashem reveals, says, look, we have this fundamental connection. Let's set that on the table. Let's start from that. And we hopefully are in a state of true, which means we are interested in returning to Hashem, so we're accepting that. And then we go and, and that also explains why on Yom Kippur itself, as Yom Kippur progresses, why do we keep confessing our sins? because we keep getting closer. And, and, and this opportunity isn't over, right? So I'm not like, oh, it's good enough. I want it to be better. So you, you work on it again. And this continues until Yom Kippur's over. Once Yom Kippur's over, we put everything away and then we'll deal with after Yom Kippur. I'm not talking talk this class about Sukkos and all that stuff.
1: Okay?
0: So is this idea that we have an unbreakable bond meant to lighten our sense of responsibility of doing tshuva and dealing with our avers on Yom Kippur, or empower us to take it on in a more serious way. You see, like, like very often it gets spun the almost the opposite idea. Since the bond is unbreakable, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about anything. No, no, no. Since the bond is unbreakable, you're capable of dealing with everything. Now, what's the most important part of Yom Kippur? Nope. I someone, I someone's asked this question, and people say like Kol Nidre, whatever, but it's Eleneo. it's still wrong. It's not the right answer. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Kol Nidre, by the way, is very special, but it, it's not the most important part of the mm-hmm. Neither is Eleneo.
1: Hmm.
0: What? No. Like if this was the only part of your kipper you observed, fasting. fasting. Mm-hmm. I the most important part is fasting. How important is fasting? You can be
1: in bed all
0: day. That's right. Okay. okay? You can be in bed all day as long as your life is not going to be put in jeopardy and that has to be with the consultation of a doctor and a rabbi. We're not going to get into all those things. The most important thing is fasting. Okay. As and and as much as we're describing Yom Kippur it's a time to work on yourself and blah, 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 and all that stuff, and it's very good, that should never be prioritized over the actual fasting. In fact, there's one thing that Yom Kippur does not atone for.
1: Breaking,
0: Breaking Yom Kippur.
1: Hmm.
0: So, fasting is very important.
1: What about the following year when you're going to be- you're talking about all of the sins that you've done. Can you ask for forgiveness for the previous year of not fasting?
0: The honest truth, I never looked into all the details of the idea that Yom Kippur does not atone for breaking Yom Kippur. Um, so I can't answer you with any confidence. But the, since the idea as it's presented is that you can't turn something which is the basis of sin into the remedy for the sin. Seemingly the argument would be no, but I want to be um, honest that I can't tell you conclusively that that's correct. Now, what that means is, it wouldn't be proper to have a whole class on Yom Kippur without talking a little bit about the meaning of fasting on Yom Kippur, right? Since at the end of the day, all this Chuva Kippur and davening and confessing sins and you know, all that's very nice and most of us probably can't do that the whole Yom Kippur. I mean, realistically, that's a lot of work, right? Pretty intense. If if we took everything we said in this class and really tried to do that the whole day of Yom Kippur, um, I think many of us would become quite exhausted, right? Once, once a year might be too much for us um, but at least at some point during Yom Kippur maybe if it's the beginning, maybe it's the end you know, assuming you're not literally bedridden in a coma uh, or close to it um, to take some time to try and like, do some of this you know, what we've described about, about realizing you have an essential connection and using that to try and figure as, as a base to have an honest mental conversation with the about where the conflicts are and how to go about fixing them that being said, um, I also want to dedicate a little time because we only have one class on Yom Kippur, so I'm kind of packing stuff together, um, some of the symbolism of fasting. Now, it's important to realize that fasting in Judaism um, generally is a, is a way of, um, have, of offering a sacrifice. Generally, the way we think of fasting in Judaism it's just like in the temple, there was a sacrifice that was offered, and you, you know, most of the sacrifice involved the blood and fat of the animal being given to God. So the idea is that in a, when a person fasts, they're depriving themselves of their own blood and fat in service of God, and that kind of serves as a sacrifice. And sacrifice is pleasing to God, and so the fasting is pleasing to God. Okay. Um. And so when we have fast days, basically the idea is, just like a sacrifice elicits God's will and desire for us, so too when you fast, it elicits God's will and desire. Okay? Um, parenthetical note, it is forbidden to fast in Judaism if it compromises your ability to observe the Torah to the fullest. As a, when I mean, it's forbidden as a personal choice. Like a person says, I want to offer a sacrifice to God, so I'm going to fast today. Is that going to cause you to learn Torah at a lower level, pray at a lower level, um, be snappier with people? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then it is forbidden. And obviously, if it jeopardizes your health, it would be forbidden. So in practice, for generations already, the rabbis have been saying people should not be taking on voluntary fast because generally, it does not lead to a more pious observance. Now, when the rabbis institute a fast, you don't have any choice in the matter. However, Yom Kippur is not like that. Yom Kippur is not a fast day in the sense that we are trying to like offer like a symbolic sacrifice by depriving ourselves of you know, our own flesh and blood. Yom Kippur, the idea of fasting is um, that we are not connected to the physical world. Judaism has an idea that we are supposed to be in the world and changing the world and bringing God into the world, yes? Okay. Which day is that not, the case? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, there's no world, right? In a way that's similar to Shabbos. Shabbos, right? We kind of we disconnect a little bit from the world, right? But only a little bit. For instance, what what are things that we still engage in on Shabbos? There's no cooking. There's no cleaning. Eat we eat, right? We eat, right? We wear nice clothing. We
1: enjoy ourselves,
0: we enjoy ourselves right? We, 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 we find those physical activities which are not creative labor, malacha, right? And uh, we, we, right, okay. On Yom um, Kippur, we don't just abstain from malacha from work, from creatively making better in the world. We don't participate in the world at all. Now, like everything in halacha, boundaries are set, right? You don't have to like die on Yom Kippur, right? You're actually <laughs> forbidden from dying on Yom Kippur. not allowed to do that. Um, and it's not like you're banned from any physical thing ever, right? You are allowed to breathe. Um, You are allowed to, you know, smell things. By the way, if you have a hard time fasting and want to wake me up, um, smelling stuff is good. Um, But as a general idea, the idea is that we are detaching ourselves from any attachment to the physical world. Why? Like, what does that have... That seems like a totally different idea than really Like, why why should I be detached from the physical world? close, when something really, really matters to you, do you forget to eat? Do you forget to change your clothes? Do you forget to shower? I mean, if it takes that long, right? That can happen to a person, right? In other words, all of the I have to maintain myself stuff falls away when you're dealing with something, which is? really, really critical to you, right? Now, most of the time in daily life, we don't have stuff that that's critical to us that takes that long, right? So very rarely do you go like, you know, 50 hours without eating. However, people can do that. Uh, has anyone ever been um, in the hospital, God forbid, with, with a relative where there wasn't a lot of waiting, there was a lot of like moving around? You know, they take you this test and that test, you seek that doctor and that doctor, you see If you're in one of those kinds of situations, right, you can forget to eat. And those situations, depending on the issue, can sometimes go hours and hours, and even like, you know, 20, 30 hours, that can happen. Now, at some point, usually someone comes along and does what? You need to eat something, right? (laughs) But that's them doing it to you, that's not you, right? Okay. So if um, our essential connection to God is on the table and we're working out all of our conflicts, what should be the only thing that has any pull, any attachment, I feel any connection to at that moment. Just God and working out those issues. Right? There's no there's no place to have other commitments. Even the idea of, oh, God wants me to do act, God wants to do, God wants you to serve this. I'm supposed to accomplish this. Like 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 we're dealing with, with the, the, the the fundamental notion of being connected to God. That should be so compelling. That should be so draw us in so deeply that we We leave any other attachments, even the idea of serving God and bettering the world behind.
1: So, kind of us fasting because the rabbis told us to fast is like us being like a little kid puppet. Like,
0: we're not actually tapping into the real reason why we're fasting. Which one is it? Which fast? fast? The Yom Kippur fast or the other fast? No, Yom Kippur is not the rabbis. Yom Kippur is the only God given fast. Right. Yom Kippur, says so like this. The rabbis institute fasts because they say, we're going to make this a public fast day because then God will be pleased by the fasting and then he'll, you know, be more favorable to us and we can do tshuva or we can, like, you know, avert decrees or, like, you know, bring rain or whatever. And, and, and you're right. The public fast day works as your participation is on the communal level. It's not really, like, your personal thing. Yom Kippur is different. Yom Kippur is saying like this. Yom Kippur, God is saying, your soul is busy with something right now. What is your soul busy with? Working out its problems with God. And your soul is so preoccupied with this. Does your soul have any place to be involved in the world? So whether you feel your soul or you don't feel your soul. Sorry, we spoke about it in yesterday's class, right? We're not always in touch with our soul. Right? But whether you feel your soul or not, what is your soul doing on your kipper? It's having that conversation with God. Whether you're consciously trying to participate, and that's a separate question, but it's having the conversation. What do you do to your soul when you go and do a worldly activity, forbidden on Yom, Yom Kippur? You're dragging your soul out of that. The spiritual concept behind this is the soul is totally absorbed in something right now. There is no place for the soul to be involved in the world. So you, human being, if you're sensitive to your soul, you wouldn't fast anyway, right? You, would, you, <laughs> so you wouldn't eat anyway, you, you couldn't eat, right? Um, the, 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 the fifth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Rasha, which was on the bottom left, told his son, the Rebbe Reitz, the previous Rebbe, was on the bottom right, when he was a, I don't remember if he was a child or bar mitzvah, or so after bar mitzvah, I don't remember exactly when, that on Yom Kippur you have to derive pleasure from the fast. You have to enjoy the fasting. Now, he did not mean, like, you should enjoy that, like, metabolic high you get when your body's like <laughs> What he meant is like this, is that you should feel so enriched by the closeness of the soul to God. Now, is that an expectation for us? Like, should we, look? Like, what? Not really, right? It goes back to, like, let's say yesterday about crying in the 10 days of tshuva, because... But at the very least, should we do things that actively disturb the soul's ability to have this kind of connection and work through these kinds of things? No. Simultaneously, the degree to which I, as a conscious human being, can try and have a conscious human experience in alignment with that, that's great. That's wonderful, right? In other words, the truth of the matter is, even if you are a Jew who doesn't go to Shul, right? Even if you're a Jew who doesn't observe Torah mitzvahs, even if you're a Jew who claims to be an atheist, on Yom Kippur, what is your soul trying to do? It's trying to have... The, it's opening the door to Hashem and trying to have this conversation about how to fix all the problems, right? And when a, a Jew eats on Yom Kippur or does one of the other forbidden things on Yom Kippur, what happens? They drag the soul out of that conversation. Now, it, it, what's even better is not only if I... That, that's happening on the level of my soul. I, as a conscious human being, am trying to tap into the fact that's happening with my soul and... Make some changes in my conscious human way of relating to Hashem and my Judaism. How much is
1: your soul involved in your eating? I'm saying, how is it distracted?
0: Like, what what does your soul have to do? With eating? If it's in the middle of a conversation, it's not like you're interrupting. Okay, so so um okay. to put this, I, the oh, there's only one analogy for this, unfortunately. So I'll use the analogy. Um, there are activities. That husbands and wives do that. If you are simultaneously doing anything else, it destroys the entire quality of interaction. That's what's happening between the soul. Like that, That's the analogy that Kabbalists use: is the, the level of connection. That there's a there's it. It, it it's, demand of the soul is absolute. Yes. And so and so, any kind of attachment. Even something minuscule, which is normally not a problem for the soul. Normally our soul is along with God very well and doing all sorts of things. And eating and drinking are not problems. The level of absolute engagement that's taking place on Yom Kippur means that anything would interfere with it. Now, there's, no, like, a lot, there's not very good analogies for that kind of stuff. Because most things, you can do a little bit of multi-thinking. Just something else It's not a big deal. Yes, but your soul, that's not like conscious
1: experience.
0: Your soul is involved in everything you do. Everything you do. The soul is always involved. There's nothing that you do that doesn't involve your godly soul. Ever. The question is, how much of the godly soul and how much it's revealed and how much it's suffering? That's not, but there's no such thing you do. Your godly soul is like sitting in the corner and you're like, going to do something else. That never happens. Ever. Everything that you're doing, your godly soul is participating in. Always. So then, why
1: aren't
0: there like more lessons Like what not to do? So, Specifically, these are the things that the Torah considers to bind the person to a bodily pleasure. And it's that kind of thing that takes away from the soul. It's not just the technical doing of something, it's a thing that, that, because pleasure is something kind of glues you to something. And so there's actually a reason why smell, like the Kabbalistic reason why smell doesn't, isn't forbidden on your kipper is because the Torah, uh, I don't have time to explain why this is, but the Torah says that smell is actually something that is not considered a bodily pleasure. It's considered a pleasure only of the soul. So even so though you're you,
1: distracting your soul even
0: more. No, no. The idea, the, idea, the, idea, <laughs> the, the idea being is that when you enjoy food or you like, you know, take a nice shower or something, or, these are things which bind the soul to the physical world when you experience the enjoyment of scent, it doesn't actually have that same effect. Now, there's a lot of stuff to explain in that. So, it, and then there's other reasonings as well, but, but the idea is that the fasting is actually, it's not, it's a mitzvah first off, and luckily it's the most important part, but also the truth is that this whole healing between us and Hashem is really coming from the relationship to Hashem and the soul, right? So the most important thing is to respect the soul's role in it and give the soul the opportunity to really do that. And secondarily, to try and tap into that through my own saying the prayers and confessing, saying Elenu, which is actually, yes, from a halakhic point of view, of all the additions, Elenu is um, arguably, it's either that or video. you could make an argument or the other, most important. In a future class, could we learn about the thing about smell and how it's only been? Maybe. Maybe. That's one of the areas of Chassidus where stuff gets a lot more mystical. and you know, but we it All right. So most important part of Yom Kippur? Okay, the fact that your sins can't separate you from God is a reason to not worry about them or to deal with them? Deal. To deal with them. All right, good. Have a wonderful Yom Kippur. Have a wonderful rest of the
1: year.